Hello, and welcome to Teacher Tales, a podcast from the spirit of teaching. This is your host, Linda Markley, and I invite you to join me and my guests as we get curious, explore, discover, and learn more about what is really at the heart of teaching. In each episode, we will hear the story of a teacher, what called them to teach, what are their greatest joys and challenges in teaching, what inspires them, and what are their hopes, dreams, and vision for the education of children. We will learn more about the greatest lessons they have taught and also the greatest lessons they have learned. No checklists, no standards, no reports, no paperwork, and no data. Just stories from their hearts to our hearts on a journey to celebrate what really matters in the true spirit of teaching. So hi everyone. Today my guest is Meredith. Welcome Meredith and would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, My name is Meredith White and I teach Spanish one and two just outside of Atlanta, Georgia in Gwinnett County and this will be my I believe 14th year teaching. And so what's your current situation as far as like are you teaching face-to-face, remotely? Uh, yeah, so we're juggling in right. the <laughs> a lot of plates spinning. Um, it, yeah, it's we've got kind of we're in the middle of we're sort of in the hybrid stage of a hybrid kind of setting. So we're phasing students in. So right now my students are all um, virtual, but in the next couple of days, uh, and they'll add another grade level into in person, and my students have the choice. So many, over half, probably about 70% of my students will continue to be online, but um, several per class, like fewer than 10, but uh, so between five and 10 will come in in person and be completing basically the same lessons, you know, the same like lesson plans that the virtual students are, but just a little bit differently and in person. So it'll be interesting. Could you have imagined this 14 years ago when you started teaching that I, we said earlier, it's like you're expecting an elephant with daddy long legs, you know, like Dali sort of surrealism to walk through the classroom. It's, I mean, I couldn't even, we were saying this the other day, just a colleague and I, we were talking about the, the technology, because if you, you look at the timeline of technology, smartphones were about like the 2007 2008 school year and that's when i got started and so smartphones weren't mainstream really until like 2012 so there were still four years there where in the classroom smartphones weren't really a thing you could tell some of your students maybe had a little more more resources at home because they had one and then in 2012 iphone ownership went up 50 percent and that like rocked my whole world. Our school got a bring your own device policy and all. I mean, it was, it went from like no phone, no never, no how to like everybody bring it. Let's see what we can do. And this feels like another one of those phases of just like, like complete overhaul of that will, you know, whatever, whatever it is, it's in your mind that will never look the same, the same way as it didn't between, you know, the couple of years where they went from flip phone to all of a sudden a, a small computer in their pocket all the time. And everything that came up with that, this feels like another one of those seismic shifts for sure. So going back 14 years, why did you become a teacher? Was there some person that influenced you or an inspiration? Yeah, I would say so. And I would say like just a group of people. I am a fourth generation teacher. 
So I, that was just always kind of what I was going to do. And I played classroom with my stuffed animals and they were very attentive. Uh, of course, a uh, great class. And, um, you know, my parents would peek in the, my room if I was playing by myself and I would be like, and today, you know, and I would be doing like a little lesson, but I spent my entire childhood in classrooms and offices and gyms because that was just kind of the family business was school. Um, and if you weren't a teacher, you're probably a nurse. That's just kind of, we have a very like service-based family where people just feel a strong sense of giving to something greater than the self, I suppose. And so school was always a place that felt really good to me. I felt, it felt like home and I felt at home there. And I, it was a, a setting in, in which most of the time I felt really good about myself too. Uh, and so I wanted to be part of that, you know, as it had been, I wanted to be sort of influencing, I wanted to be an influencer kind of in that way, in the same way that many had um, done to me. And so it just, that was just always the plan. And then I took Spanish one as a sophomore and about the second week of Spanish one, that was just game over, like done. I, before I was undecided what I was going to teach, I just knew I was going to be a teacher and I was leaning towards something wordy, you know, I'm a word nerd. So maybe like language arts or English or like history. Cause I love all of that. But that was at Spanish one Marisol Padilla. She was incredible. She is incredible. And that was just, that was it. She, I mean, I could almost, I looked around and I actually saw like doors open because she was teaching me all these words. And suddenly I could say words to people I wouldn't have been able to say words to before. Um, and they, and they would like respond and they'd smile and they'd laugh. And I thought, oh my gosh, there are places I could travel to now. And there are things like, like my life is going to be forever enhanced because of this thing. And so I just, I had to, I had to do that. And she, she, uh, she's still an incredible teacher. And I was only able to have three years in high school, but that was it. That was, it was always going to be teaching. And then I started taking Spanish and it was never looked back. That was it. So you still keep in touch with her? Yeah. 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 We've um, remained like very close friends. Yeah. So she's, oh, that's she's great. So nice. Mm -hmm. That's so nice. So what do you think your mission is every day as a teacher? That's a good question. I think my mission is, I'm a big believer and I know you and I have talked about this on a personal level. I'm a big believer in celebrating little wins because I don't think there are like little and big wins. I just think celebrate the wins. You know, you finished a program or you, you know, started this, or you met a goal, or you just, you know, got the laundry done, you know, unloaded the dishwasher with them, because so, I mean, there's so many, like, little things that, um, that stress us out, and I think when we look at those on, like, a daily level, but also, like, a big kind of life level, I just, I, I think it's important to celebrate wins, and to celebrate people, and I think that's, one of my missions just as a teacher is to get kids to win as much as possible. And then if they lose to go, well, that's okay. Builds character. You know, I, go, I channel my junior high track coach when I wasn't very fast going <laughs> as I'm the last one going across the finish line. It's okay. It builds character. <laughs> I remember yelling that. And I was like, I have enough character. Uh, as I'm like <laughs> placing six out of six or whatever. Um, I remember that vividly. And I think it's, you know, it's not just celebrating wins, but, acknowledging losses and not really seeing them as losses, just not really seeing them as wins or, you know, they're a step to the next thing that you can celebrate, but also celebrating, you know, celebrating those moments where you go, Oh man, I didn't do so well on that, but, but I have another opportunity or, or whatever. So I think that's 
important to express to students and I think to frame learning that way because we see it as so linear and we see progress as comparative and linear and um, as Tom Welch out of Kentucky says it's not like it's a constellation and he always challenges me in my thinking of like you know some days you're here then you're back here then you're here mm -hmm. then you're back here and it's kind of all spread out but it's not a number line and it's not a timeline and I think that's what the message that school has sent for a long time. So I see part of my mission is, you know, each day is fresh. Each lesson is new. You, you know, you have students that say, oh, I'm not very good at Spanish. It's the second day of school. What are you talking about? You're not good at Spanish. Like says whom, you know, and, and at what point? So I think that's not to sound over Pollyanna or like overly positive, but, um, but I think it's digging deep into those negative feelings and then figuring out how we can move on and continue onward with the positivity, with the negativity, and just and celebrate, you know, all kinds of effort and all kinds of gains, small win, you know, small, large, whatever, whatever it be. You know, it's been funny and not funny, but and interesting to me talking to a lot of different teachers over the years, and especially during the podcast, all of them are saying like. I just want my kids to know that they can make mistakes and it's okay. It's okay for me to make mistakes that we're learning and growing all the time. And so what really struck me is that it magnifies the whole concept or counterintuitive concept of the testing and the end of course exams and, right. you know, these checklists and these, mm -hmm. like you said, looking at the the negative and the positive so a kid may be like a level one and instead of saying oh you're a level one you're way down there and you're you know giving them no hope mm -hmm. instead encouraging them and celebrating those little wins that they have every step of the way that's what teachers really want to do and so right. i just think that this current well in the past few years i think since the computers and you know so mm -hmm. much can be measured now it's set everyone up for a lot of anxiety about that. We want right. to celebrate the wins, but we're being dragged into focusing on the data. Mm -hmm. And uh, I agree. So. And I think it sends students, it sends kids, and it sends adults mixed messages, you know, because especially you look at proficiency based language teaching where you're like, no, it's okay. Like, Linda, you've only been taking Spanish for a couple of weeks. Like, the expectation is that you you know, do this and do this or kind of, you know, screw this up. And they like, don't actually believe you because they can't, you know, we've set them up to see this grading system and they're like, mm, no, I think I'll just try that in Google translate and then see if you catch it because they can't like see kind of the forest for the trees. And why would they be able to, we've, we've, like you said, I mean, we've set them up to see, all of these tests down the line. And, and I can remember, you know, using pen in like fifth grade because they said in fourth grade, you get to use pen. And then in fifth grade, they said in sixth grade, you're going to have to start writing cursive all the time with that pen. And it was like always looking forward to the next thing. And we never just got to like be where we were necessarily. And we were kind of the beginning of that really heavily tested generation. But it's that same thing of like, I'm a big fan of always looking ahead, but also you have to be present in the moment and present in the growth and whatever that, you know, performance is that you're doing in the learning. And kids just really have a hard time um, doing that and being present because they're waiting for the gotcha sometimes because we've said, okay, now sit in this cold room and take this test and no, you don't get anything to help you. But 
you know, like we, and you and I, I know are, are conference addicts, I think. And so it's like, we go to lots of PD. When have you ever, when have we ever just shoved somebody in a room and gone, okay, give your presentation, no slides. <laughs> You're like, what? Like we have kids in so many situations that we as professional, competent, prepared adults would never stand for. Um, and we'd go, that's unreasonable. Absolutely not. Or sit in a series of seven meetings all day, you know, seven meetings and you're going to finish everything you need to do for the meeting, but you still have to sit there. You don't get to go back to your office, like that kind of a thing. And that's a lot of times, unfortunately, yeah, what kids experience in school. And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's no wonder some of them go, Oh, this stinks. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of PD and we are conference junkies, we go to them a lot and, uh, and you give a lot of professional development because you are very innovative. You're very um, tech savvy and you're very creative in what you do because you're trying to get the kids to have those wins, those little wins all the time. And that takes a lot of work and a lot of creativity in it and not just following a checklist or a set of, you know, prescriptions, you know, take Mm -hmm. this pill, this pill, this pill, and (laughs) magically speak Spanish, you know. So so what do you think is most needed now for professional development for teachers? Mm -hmm. You know, I think the same way, the same way we have to work to make content accessible for students, I think professional development needs to be accessible for teachers. I often come back to some really good advice I got um, as a young teacher, which was, I don't remember from whom, because there's so much advice coming in and some of it's awful. (laughs) Like a lot of it's great, but you're not ready to receive it. You're just like, wow, thank you. Yes. And then you go back where you feel like your classroom's just on fire, you know, and you're like, they said to do something about this, but I don't know what it was. Um, And some really good advice I got was being able to take, you know, you don't have to choose. You can take your work seriously and you can take yourself less seriously. That's okay. And to me, I've always found that to be the balance that I've been able to strike in teaching and in and keeping it sustainable and in staying in the profession is your work is important. Your work matters. And you just have to be confident in that and know that if you know that you did your best, that was your best. And you, and to me, that feeling has led me as a, as a teacher to have more of an awareness of what it is I need. And I think that that's the key in PD is because professional development is such a mixed bag. You know, you might need this. I might know Zoom, but I don't know this. And so you could teach me this. And it's like those Mission Impossible movie, like lasers just going like pew, 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 like all intersecting and going across the room because nobody's skill set is exactly like anybody else's. And so it wasn't for me until I was, until I had an administrator, like I'd already been teaching like nine or 10 years, finally say to me, like, how, like, how are you best supported? And I had never had anybody ask me that in like six different schools because we had been military. So we'd moved around and I'm like, wait, what do you mean? Because normally the question is like, what do you need from me? But it was like, how, how can I support you? What's the kind of support you at this stage in your career need from me be specific. And so at that point I was new to my school and I thought, okay, yeah, like I wouldn't mind not having to take a personal day. I plan on going to a few conferences this year, 10. Uh, <laughs> I like to just say a few and then tell them later. Um, and, you know, I'm going to go to several conferences and I don't want to have to take a personal day. They said, no problem. Signed off the paper. I mean, there was some kind of form that he was like, okay, yeah, note to self, da, 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 and moved on. And I never would have had the confidence or the meta awareness to say that at 22, 23, 24. 
Um, and that was really invaluable for me. Then professional development became more accessible and I was able to kind of sync it up with my needs and with my goals. And I think that's, I think that's the key is we don't ask people what they, like we ask them what they want, what they want to learn about, but I don't know that we follow, we don't go much deeper than that. We go, Oh, you said Google classroom. Great. Then go to this Google classroom session, but there's so much nuance that you can't ever, they're going to go to a Google Classroom session and go, oh, I thought I needed this, but I actually, it turns out I know a lot. Or the other way where they're like, I don't even know how to log into my Gmail. You know, I don't even know how to access my Google account, but I really want to use Google Classroom. And I'd like to see there be, I don't know, more access points or more personalization that's accessible to teachers where, not to make more work for people, but where there's just something that they can tap into that aligns with their goals, that aligns with their um, strengths, weaknesses, et cetera, because I mean, time is of the essence. We're right now starting the most bizarre school year. And it's like, you know, people need to learn Google Classroom today to use it next week because they start school. You know, we're going to have to acknowledge all that nuance and not just do one size fits all, which I think, you know, is the mm -hmm. same thing we've done to students, like you just said. Yeah, prescriptive. And I, mm -hmm. and I think, you know, the whole concept of PLCs, you know, and, and they kn know that letting teachers work together and have time to work together and share is important because we've been asking for it forever. Right. But you are a master person at sharing. You oh, share you. everything with everyone. You are so generous in spirit and oh, you try things you. out and you no, I've, I've known you so long now and I've seen you share everything and you're always willing to tell people, take it. And you know, mm -hmm. I, 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 I discovered this new thing, you know, right. Take it, here, make it better. Take it, make it better or <laughs> yeah. see if you can use it. And that's how we learn. That's how we help each other. Like you said, you Absolutely. know something about something. And if you have time mm -hmm. and the other person is open to receiving it, right. But, giving that permission that your administrator did about saying what tell me what you need let Incredible. me help you get what you need mm -hmm. how many administrators do that not right. many you know right. and it, it's all prescriptive and teachers get bitter after a while they're like i don't want to eat my spinach it's too bitter right. i don't like spinach or i know about spinach i've eaten enough of it in my life you know give them choices yeah and i agree and, and the same thing with kids, give them choices. And you give your kids a lot of choices in the way you set things up. And yeah. that's empowering. I think that's the key word too. maybe. Yeah, I'm able to give them a lot of choices. I have a lot of things to choose from. And I've just always, not always, but I, when starting out was around a lot of um, teachers that mentored me in a lot of different ways. And they just constantly shared. It's almost like being raised. When you look at your early career, it's almost like the way your parents raised you, you react in some ways to like certain habits or certain priority, like what they made a priority and that kind of thing. Um, and I think early teaching and student teaching is the same. You look at who raised you, you know, who, who kind of, who gave you your welcome into this profession. And if they were sharing, like a lot of mine were always sharing, constantly going, Linda, you're better at this than I am. You know, what do you think about da, 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 da. Nobody was afraid to acknowledge other people's strengths or go for themselves. Oh, that I ask somebody, I am not the one because I'm still working on that myself. So like, try, but you definitely want to talk to so-and-so. And so it was just a very open collaborative environment. 
And so I was shocked when I was no longer in an environment like that. And then I was super happy to come back to my current place, which um, is in the same district that I had been sort of trained in. And um, it was like, it was like welcome home because so much of that was already so deeply ingrained in me. And I think that's important. I think we got to share and, you know, not worry about what if they think this lesson is stupid? Okay, well then they won't use it. Like what you shared it anyway, who can fault you for sharing? And it might mean something significant to somebody. Well, we've had a lot of conversations around these topics, the role of authenticity and vulnerability mm. in the classroom. Yeah. What, how important are those two factors? And you bring that to the table. You really do oh, gosh. with your kids and with in, in professional settings too, whether mm. it's conferences or workshops, uh, anything like that. People feel comfortable because you're very authentic and vulnerable vulnerability yeah i think I, that's super nice of you to say i appreciate that i i try really hard to be you know you try to be as honest as you can um which in professional development can be hard because somebody might say well then why are you giving this session <laughs> it's like <laughs> if you don't know or and you're going like i don't know i just you know, i thought um because we're teachers and we want answers you know we want to work hard we want to we want to do well for students we want to feel like we're doing a good job in a job that we love but doesn't always love us back i i think teaching in a lot of ways can be um an abusive relationship of sorts where you just continually give 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 and it just continually kind of smacks you in the face sometimes and so i think to that end um it's again taking taking the work seriously taking the mission seriously taking your why seriously and counterintuitively, somehow also taking yourself less seriously and being able to separate it all. Because I think with a, a, a high degree of sharing and collaboration and vulnerability, and then we've, I know you and I have talked about like shame, the shame that sometimes comes into play with those things. I think if you don't have some strong boundaries in some ways, that all becomes too much and it's too exhausting. And then you start resenting, or at least I say you, like the hypothetical you, I, I start resenting, I'm speaking completely first person. I start resenting um, people around me for no reason. I start resenting students when I feel like overtired and underappreciated, you know, and overworked and all those kind of things. I have to really um, separate myself from kind of, you know, whether it's just physically, like I'm leaving this at work today, these papers will get graded tomorrow. I am there sitting here. I'm not taking them with me and I'm leaving now, you know, that kind of a thing or not doing um, work anywhere, but like where, you know, in the little office in my house where my computer lives, like not letting things actually like permeate into other spaces. Um, and, and it, yeah, it's like that Indigo Girls line of it's only life after all. And thinking, you know, because at the end of the day, you have to zoom out a little bit and go, it's one, you know, if you had a bad day, like it's one period in one Spanish class, in one little tiny classroom, in one school, in one county, like it's, it's important to us and it's personal to us because our work is personal. So we take it personally, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, you just try again tomorrow. It is what it is. Um, and there were wins in there somewhere, probably, if not, Oh, well, you know, and, and I think the thing we don't talk about a lot of times as teachers is sometimes you just have a losing season and you just have like a losing week and a losing month or an entire semester or entire year been there that just feels like constantly getting slapped in the face 
Um, and, and maybe it even feels like it's your fault. I mean, I've, I've been there where I'm like, I just not feeling this. I'm in a funk or whatever the thing is, but I think still continue. I think talking about that and opening up that vulnerability is important because there's a lot of shame in teaching in a profession that can be so over, um, that can be so empowering. There's also a lot of things that really quickly affect your mental health and affect your physical health and affect your relationships. Uh, we love these movies like Freedom Writers, but nobody talks about the fact that she and her husband divorced that school year, Erin uh, Gruel. So we love these stories of like, do it for the kids, do whatever matters, like, hey, do what it takes. But at the cost of what? You know, what might have actually transpired behind the scenes? You know what? I think I'd rather, if, if I'm starting to feel the walls close in on my, my personal life or, you know, on a friend level, or like we were talking about earlier, like time-wise, just cutting entire food groups out of the diet and just pushing them off the plate, making a couple of interpretive assessments, self-graded and multiple choice. <laughs> if that saves your sanity, why not? You know, why not just, just do it and share it or don't and do better next time. But I think we, I think, um, I think that vulnerability piece in teaching is one of, is one of the main ways we can band together and I think it's one of the things that separates us and that alienates people. That's a shame. Mm -hmm. But it goes back to what you were saying earlier that's so important is that balance and prioritizing things. But you have to be aware. You have to stop and reflect and yeah. say, what could I do differently? What's really, 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 really important here? And what right. can I let go of? What can I, like you said, choose the food that is for your diet for the day according yep. to That's how exactly you're feeling, it. how, mm -hmm. what your mood is, what your energy level is, what's going on in your personal life. Yep. And, and teachers have been expected forever to be like superheroes and to have super mm -hmm. strengths and everything. And you see a lot right. of this going through social media with the pandemic where it's like, mm -hmm. teachers, come on, let go. You do not have to put in 18 <laughs> right. hour days and be right. glued to the computer and trying to, you know, and neglecting your family or neglecting yourself and there's right. balance. There is balance and you're still a great teacher. I agree. And I think it's interesting when you see, you know, how, I mean, there's no, I mean, we're what, 81% women, you know, dominated as a profession. And so I think when you see some of the uh, different movements, just some of the different civil, um, like feminism movements and all these kind of things where kind of women went, wait a second, I, mm, like maybe don't love this or maybe like kind of would want some more options here. Um, they've also coincided with big educational pieces. And so whether it's like strikes or the rise of unions or things like that in different places, I think because a lot of us are women, um, and we've been told in the last 50, 60 years that to some degree, you know, now we can do anything. I think we've taken anything and we've made it everything. So, so now not only can we do anything, um, is what we talk but then all of a sudden now we have to do everything. And it's like, we didn't push anything off the plate. We just kept loading up and, and like, couldn't make any choice at the buffet. And not that we need to make choices or that we need to eliminate certain things. But I, I think the workload has become not sustainable in exactly those ways. I think like you're saying, like the not being able, it's not, and we say like, don't forget to say no, but I think it's deeper than that. It's like enough is a decision, not an amount. 
because I'm always waiting for some like trip switch to go like, Oh, that's enough. Like you're going to, you're going to know like that thing on that water heater, you know, if like your water heater floods there, we have like a little like sensory thing that if it senses moisture or like water fills up, it like shuts the whole thing down. So it doesn't flood your house, like from your attic or whatever. And that's what I think I always, as a teacher wait for like, Oh, I'll know. I'll know when I'm drowning. And it's like, all of a sudden you're like, wait, I've been drowning for a while. You know, you're just sort of flailing in the water. Like, wait, I'm, I'm already underwater. I thought, I thought I was going to feel the water. And so it's like just choosing enough and that no is a complete sentence, like all of those kind of things. And I come back to, like you said, I think that that's that word of priority. The etymology of priority is so interesting to me. It's only, it's been a word like 500 years and the last 100 years, give or take, is the only time that it's ever been, been plural. It was always singular because you can't have more than one priority. But in the last like 100 years, we've said, what are your priorities? What are your priorities? And we've made it plural, which is insane because no wonder we're all like running this rat race of linear progress and comparative, you know, like, well, Linda's doing this. Should I be doing this? Well, this person's doing this. Well, no wonder we are because we've also told ourselves as women, but also as humans, like that you can have three or four things that you find to be the most important. Absolutely not. Like, so to me, if at the end of the day, like you said, I love that like, daily diet. If it doesn't serve, if it's not to me, food is, you know, you see food is energy, food is fuel. And so if none of this is fueling my one priority or none of this is fueling my mission, then sorry, then these, you know, this food group's got to go for today or for this semester. That's how I feel with new tech tools. I'm not learning anything new this year. I'm like, I got my, the ones I like, I've got the ones I already have materials in. Have a nice day. You know, that's just, I'm not, I'm not looking to change profoundly anything that I'm, you know, any weaknesses. I'm not looking to improve. <laughs> nope. We're just staying steady, using things I already have, enhancing here and there where I can and making, you know, maybe something a little bit um, better or digital friendly. But this is, you know, not the year to just really go whole hog on all the goals. Um, and I've, I mean, or, or all the priorities, maybe just one, mm -hmm. you know, if it's, if it's your family, then that's it. You know, if this doesn't fuel my need to be home with my family for dinner or like whatever the goal is, um, especially if you've got like young children, then no, sorry, <laughs> not doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like your metaphor too about, you know, drowning or whatever. We're just trying to keep our noses above water. And so maybe now's the time, the best way to survive when you're drowning is to turn, to roll over and float. So yeah. maybe just, absolutely, you know, do what can keep you afloat. And the most important thing is your sanity, the kid's sanity, yeah. and just that social emotional learning has been all over the internet too. You know, that's totally. really come... To light. And I think it's been there as an undercurrent for ever, but it's surfaced now and is really what's important and always oh, has absolutely. been. I think that, that that's what teaching started, that it was about learning and nurturing children and their growth and preparing them mm -hmm. to be decent humans in the world and right. be able to function and know who they are and, you know, their value and that sort of thing. And it, got lost somewhere along the way. So maybe it's like, you know, the cream is separating again and coming to the surface, the most right. important stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of it, I think we've, yeah, I think you're exactly it. Like so much of it, 
I come back to the spring because the spring was like, oh boy, you know, I mean, circle like March 12th, we were like, huh, interesting. This will be weird. And like, it's just like been weird the whole time. Um, And I look back and I, you know, we had some students, we talk a lot about like the devices that students have and obviously districts, right? As a district, we're 141 schools, 184,000 students, um, 23,000 employees. I mean, like we're, we're humongous. And so schools were sending out all these surveys for what kind of internet students have and what kind of devices, like, let's just get a grip on what the heck people can even do, you know, for right now on March, like, you know, 13th, 14th, 16th, that Monday, uh, because we're going to be digital here for like a little while, forever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we were like, okay. And so we wanted to see what people had. And I think back, I mean, that was March 16th, give or take. And then we had what, eight weeks of that. And by Memorial Day, I had students who had done eight weeks worth of work in all of their classes on a smartphone. And then beyond that, I had students who did four, like, you know, all their classes, eight weeks worth of work on a video game console, because that was the only smart device in the home that could be like shared. So they had internet and they had like an Xbox or a PlayStation. Can you imagine doing short answer responses on a video game controller? like letter by letter. And then you have to, you know, when you put in a password, like on Netflix, that even annoys me. Like, I'm like, Oh, I don't even know my password. Then I have to type in nine characters and one symbol. Can you imagine? And we had kids do that successfully. I'm like, you know what? Give them a trophy, a hug and a key to the city because that is an amazing feat. And so I think when we look around doing that, and then like you said, this, like, you know, we, we've got, kids are so anxious and adults too, but we've got all these like norms in place that have made people like, oh gosh, I don't know. Can you imagine doing that? And then on top of that being told, sorry, no late work. Oh, sorry. That's past the deadline. It's past the deadline because they're typing it out letter by letter. And then if you're in my class, like Spanish and I'm super unreasonable and say like, no, sorry, that's late. But they just like wrote an entire paragraph in another language using a controller. Oh my God. Like, that's incredible. To me, that's not a small win. That's like a humongous win. Amazing, amazing. Um, but there are people who wouldn't accept that work or would say, sorry, it's too late. Sorry, can't do it. And no wonder people feel defeated about everything going on right now. And no wonder it's stressing them out. And no wonder they're like, why, why even bother? Why, mm-hmm. why would I even keep doing this? And why would I believe this teacher who's saying, no, no worries, turn it in late. It's not a big deal. Your best is, is good enough. Why would any of us believe after all of these cultural things, like we've said, that our best is allowed to be good enough. Mm-hmm. Excellent point. So why? So you really have really great oh, points. <laughs> <laughs> so I, 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 I fail a lot, so I reflect on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not fail. It's first attempt in learning. That's exactly. A lot of firsts. Exactly. A lot of firsts. There's so many first attempts. <laughs> So I know you, when we get together, there are always stories about, you know, and this is what we do. And this is part of the reason for the, the, the podcast and everything to just connect hearts and tell stories and have stories of, you know, things. And I've seen you, you know, interact with your students, actually, uh, when we've been at conferences, because you don't just leave and leave them with a sub, you still interact with them and everything. So and I know uh, there was a there's a storyline among your social media and everything with Marvin. And so, <laughs> so do you have a favorite teacher story of something that um, happened in class or something 
that you just, if you were at a, you know, a cocktail party or whatever, you know how we, we've talked about this. Totally. Before. People will say to you like, what do you do? And you're like, I'm a teacher. <laughs> and right. They're like, Oh, so what, <laughs> like, and then the war stories happen or whatever. What is your like favorite, um, teacher story to tell in a social setting to just give somebody a really good feel of what teaching is like and with you I know it's always positive so I don't know we do advocacy a lot too it could Mm -hmm. be like what's your what's your elevator speech like what would you what is your story that you want other people to know about about the reality of the of the classroom I would say, gosh, that's a good one. And I I emailed Marvin the other day and I need to email him back because I have not heard back from Marvin and it's very (laughs) upsetting. And I had forgotten until he said his name. I'm like, Marvin, check your email. Um, He'll he'll be a senior this year. Yeah, no. So you got certain students like Marvin um, that you latch onto and just for whatever reason are just, I mean, Marvin's hilarious because and I, the story that I think of in my mind, the two of these connect, Marvin, people say, oh, Marvin, he just seems, you know, what a delight. And I'm like, that eh, kind of, because Marvin's not particularly like outgoing. He's not, he's just one of these kids that I just find enjoyable for reasons that, you know, I mean, you know how other kids tease other kids like, oh, he's a, you know, the brown noser, like whatever, oh, teacher's pet. You know, we have these cultural things where we shame, again, we shame people for doing well or for being interested and curious and learning. And so we've had, we have these tropes, but Marvin's so funny because he's not any of those things. And I think he's so real to me for that reason where Marvin's like, Oh, I roll, you know, like <laughs> you're going to give Marvin an assignment. He's like, fine. But he's also kind of like smiling, you know, and going like, okay. And to me, that's kind of how I see teaching. Um, one of the things that I come back to in my head a lot when people say, like, let's say it's after a conference or a successful school year, maybe it's, you know, teacher of the year or something. And, I, and I've been lucky to experience that. Um, something that always makes me laugh is like you said, when people say, oh gosh, bless you. Um, or I just, I know you're a great teacher. I would just would love to be in your class. And I laugh because I think back to um, two school years ago, the 2018, what year are we in now? Yeah. 2018, 2019 school year. And, uh, and so when you when you win building level teacher of the year, which like I said, I, I was lucky and, and I did and it was and it was awesome and it was a cool experience. They my, my district comes in and they film this video of you. And so they're not trying to make it hokey or scripted, but like it kind of is because they're also walking into 36 high schoolers, you know, and they stay all day and they come a couple of times and they do all these things. And so they're going like, okay, Linda, now you high five Meredith or whatever. And you're like, are you for real? Which is so funny because that's so teaching. You know, teaching is like, okay. Like when you say, if you walk into a class and you go, okay, look like you're learning. Everyone goes, oh, of course. You know, and they get their pens and it's like, well, they were learning. You walked into a class and they were learning, but then you said, make it look like learning. And so I think a lot of those things come back to what people think we do. And I laugh at that video because I watch it. And again, high vulnerability, high degree of honesty here. If you're looking really carefully, you can see a kid in the background mocking me, um, (laughs) like mocking what I'm doing with my hands. And I saw him at the time and it was that like teacher, like fuzzy eyeball thing of like, (laughs) you know, like I see you knock it off. Um, And then you see three separate kids falling asleep. And so I think like actually nodding off. (laughs) So I think that's like, the very honest like confession because that same time when I when I won teacher of the year uh, I have that I don't know if I've ever showed you I have 
a screenshot of the picture that they they put on the school website, which was really, really nice. Awesome. Um, yay, thanks. They come in, they ambush you with balloons. Um, I didn't know that that's what they did. So I was just like, oh no, the principal's walking in. Oh, he's holding balloons. Like, is this how they fire you? <laughs> like, this is, <laughs> this is the friendliest place I've ever worked. Um, but no, they do it very well. But what's funny is below that picture that they posted on the website was um, a student that my principal had to wake up uh, when he came in <laughs> because he was going like, congratulations, whatever. Oh, hey, hey, kiddo, can you, can you just, can you wake up there? And, uh, and I say that to say, I think, I think teaching, I mean, also those were mortifying experiences, but it is what it is. Um, and I think sometimes we have, I think societally, but also in education, we have these dichotomies that we think exist and they don't. So you're either a great teacher or your kids fall asleep sometimes, or you're super caught up on planning and grading, or you're way behind. Like there's no in between when really like teaching is all just like floating, doggy paddling, drowning, floating again, doggy paddling, ooh, breaststroke, doggy paddling, drowning. Like it's this whole like gamut of everything and there's so much nuance all at the same time. And I, I think that's why a lot of people don't understand what it is we do is I'm like, oh, you want a weird range of emotions? Try winning a thing and waking a kid up at the same time, you know, being like, hey guys, my colleagues think that I am really killing it. Oh, my principal's waking up somebody, oopsie, you know, and then it gets like captured in the video a couple of times. Um, I think when we do professional development, when we engage with each other, we also tend to put each other in boxes sometimes and go like, oh, well, Linda does that thing. And in my head, you know, a good teacher would never blank. Uh, or a bad teacher would never blank. And sometimes that can, that those kind of mentalities, there is no never always. That's just teaching, you know? So when people say, oh, bless you. I'm like, nah, the kids are okay. Usually it's the adults, right? They kind of screw stuff up. <laughs> we just, just close, you know, close my door, get me in a room with kids and it's, and it's all good. Um, and to me, I think some of those vulnerable and real moments are sort of the highlight, you know, the highlight what's real, not the highlight real, um, help kind of illuminate that it isn't always just rainbows and sunshine all the time. And it's not like perfect lessons and cute classrooms and, you know, bitmoji this, but that you can actually just have all of those things and still have a disaster of a lesson or day or week or whatever. Or you could have none of those things and be on fire and just really like have just the best year of your life. Uh, and maybe both of those are kind of unexpected. Um, and so I just think, I think there's so much more that goes into what it is we do. And if you, we've never done it, people just will never understand, but they tend to think that they tend to think of the picture of my principal waking up a student. is really funny. <laughs> and I agree again, humiliating, but funny. <laughs> but, but it's such a great perspective on it because as teachers too, we're, we're lifelong learners. And so mm -hmm. many teachers are going for that hundred. I want that right. 100 A plus. Yes. And I want the I want Instagram my, post teaching. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's not life because really the classroom is a microcosm of life and teachers yep. are living it, living the reality every single day. Whereas mm -hmm. if you're working in an office, you can go to your cubicle, you can close the door, you can hide. Mm -hmm. You don't yeah. have to interact with other people. And if you do, it may be by phone or by computer yeah. and that. And, you and by can, choice. And by choice. Whereas 
you know, I mean, how, how, how often when you're sitting in an office, does one of your coworkers come up and say, I think I'm going to be, you know, <laughs> I mean, that is like the life of a teacher, you know, right. and and you're like, just take it oh, should have grabbed a trash can, can I, I'll go with you. Like you made me just think of, I had a colleague uh, or a friend of mine, like sort of a friend colleague that I met through another like friend colleague. And she came and observed last year and I had a student throw up on me it, while she was like on me, on my favorite shoes. Um, and she was like observing and I, I couldn't, she's a wonderful person, but we just kind of got sidetracked after that. And, and she was a teacher, but I couldn't help but feel like she was disappointed. Like, wow, I came all this way and I heard you were a great teacher and mm, didn't really finish the lesson. <laughs> I was like, meanwhile, I'm covered in throw up from the knees down. I was like, yeah, uh-huh. The lesson has been canceled due to lack of interest. Thank you. <laughs> like, let's all move on. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Like, by choice, we're, our job is by chance, and many jobs are by choice. And, you know, those are, those are just very different. The other thing I don't think we talk about is maybe why this experience has been, you know, if you're an online-only teacher right now, and the spring felt like a relief, let's talk about that. You know, because we are so interrupted, and so whatever, like you said, just like kids coming in and kids bleh, like barf and whatever, or just profanity or like, I hate you or whatever it is. I mean, for a lot of people, this like doing kind of what I'm doing for the next two days, um, just being all virtual has really been a godsend for a lot of people. I, you know, and, and I'm, I'm interested in how many people were maybe thinking about leaving teaching and design beautiful content and curate really cool learning experiences for students, but because of maybe just you know, anxiety or extreme introversion or like personal struggles right now, really just the, the face-to-face -face with students might just be too much. But if you have the opportunity to do, you know, something virtual or to meet with students that way, some, in the same ways that I think maybe this is all draining for some people, I think it might be energizing for some people too. And I find, I find that fascinating too, because it goes back to what you said. It speaks to how much we do and give and just put out all day, every day. And, um, you know, again, nuance. And we talked about that earlier too, um, you know, about the students that have been thriving in the virtual yeah. environment, because maybe they're, they're just, they're further ahead. They're very, you know, empowered and very organized and they're with it and they manage their own learning. And then, you know how much time is lost in the classroom for that student where they're they're bored they uh, and then they act out or they become a problem mm -hmm. or they they become that that student that's making fun of you in the back of the class or <laughs> mocking you <laughs> or sleeping on their desk and everything they're not bad kids they're just right. something's going on i had a student I taught in an inner city school in Jacksonville, number one drug school in Jacksonville. One of my wow. favorite stories to tell is about a young man. We had no air conditioning. Right. And wow. he was, um, and so it was seventh period. He was super hot, really sleepy mm -hmm. uh, because he had not gotten enough sleep the night before. He was a senior, was going to um, not pass my class unless he really did well the last you know, couple of weeks. So he was falling asleep. He had his head down on his desk and I would go by and nudge him and be like, come on now, you know, pay attention so that we can, you know, pass the class mm -hmm. and, and you can graduate and everything. 
And one day I did that and he had had enough and he reared out of that desk and he picked it up and held it over my head and, and, and then just looked at me and I stood there defiantly, you know, like, what are you going to do? And he threw the desk across the room. Mm. And what happened after that was he got, he left the school, he got expelled. He snuck back in during post-planning to tell me the story that he had been going every night to find his mom who was drunk. And that one particular night, it was just too much for him because he had to go get her from a motel Mm, where she had been raped. Right. And he said, I am so sorry. He apologized, but I didn't know that story. And I didn't, you know, so this is what people don't understand about teaching too, is mm-hmm. that, you know, you have kids that will come in that have, they're dealing with things that they should never have to deal with. And sometimes mm-hmm. we're the only adult that's there for them. Absolutely. And, yeah, yeah. So, but. Um, and if we're not in a place, you know, if we're not, if, if, you know, we have, we have every kid we have, you know, has an individual story and every colleague we have has an individual story. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at all of these intersecting stories, I mean, any day or any class period or any small piece of a lesson that, you know, it doesn't just go off the rails to me as a small miracle, like mm-hmm. and any of that is positive. And so I know that our expectation is that they always go well, but it's like, wait, no, that could have been really bad. Like whatever that was, mm-hmm. that could have been really bad because, um, you, I mean, you see a colleague leaving at, leaving at, you know, whatever we get out at two ten, So our con uh, contract times like around three fifteen. And so if you see a colleague leaving right at three fifteen, again, back to the shame, how easy is it to go? Oh, there goes Linda. She's never here late, but not realize that you're caring for elderly parents. Or again, this is the worst year of your career. And you're like, I cannot be in this place for two more seconds, or I'm going to quit. And y'all can't like, I can't quit because then who's going to, so we battle all these things in our heads. And then you've got, 14 or, you know, five to 18 year olds, five to 20 year olds in front of you all day, 30 to 36 of them, if you're where I am. And it's like all in a language class, all different grade levels in one room. Sheesh. I mean, the stories are, if you could see stories like cell phone signal, you know, I feel like it'd be like, pew, 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 pew. like we'd all just it, like, we just have stuff radiating above our heads all the time because there are so many things that could go wrong. And so when they go right, it's really special, but when they go wrong, it's, it's totally normal. And I think we don't normalize, um, not only failure, like we said, but also normalize stress and like acknowledging what it is that's bothering us and, and, and how we can like get past it and just acknowledging how, how hard some stuff is. You mentioned kids being bored in a lesson. And I, I, I think of the same thing in a faculty meeting. If you keep up with your email, and, and you're, you know, communicative with your department, all those kind of things, you might be sitting in a meeting going, I already know all this. You guys said this in an email. And then you're kind of annoyed because you feel like your time's being wasted the same way that students sit in class and go, I already did this. I don't need to play Quizlet live. I went over my Quizlet cards for 30 minutes last night. Like I'm, I've done all the work, you know, and they start to be kind of frustrated. I am hoping out of this experience, we look at the comparative nature of all of those things and that, yeah, we pay more homage to the stories that are in front of us and, and around us all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. W- when I went to the uh, district and was working with teachers, uh, 
and, and I would go in sometimes principals would call me in and say, this teacher is not doing this, 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 and always from the not doing. Absolutely. And, and I always wanted to know like, well, can you what tell me doing? some things they are doing that, yeah. you know, are really good and everything. Yeah. And then my, my line always with the, the principals was, do you think that that teacher got up this morning and said, I am going to go to school today and just do the suckiest job possible. I am going to ruin right. kids' lives because that's mm -hmm. my mission. And that's why I became right. a teacher. I'll show them. No teacher I'll be ever. And I won't give feedback. <laughs> right. right. Life happens and, mm -hmm. you know, and we're all yeah. human. So I think the humanity yeah. of teaching has risen to the surface that, that cream. Yeah. And what's yeah. really interesting is that it's the cream, you know, the crema de la crema, the best of the best. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, but it's the imperfection in us all. Yeah, come to absolutely. The and, uh, and it's okay because we're human yeah. and we're trying to do, we're doing the best that we can. And our best is always good enough from where I we agree. are. I think, yeah. And I think it's like, don't, you know, don't measure up your best with somebody else's too. You're not supposed to be there. You know, it'd be like all of a sudden calling everybody in the gym, like that's it. Line up outside. We're going to see who the most in shape. Well, well, wait a second. Like we're all at the gym to do kind of the same, you know, or it seems like if you're at the gym, you're, or outside of the park or, you know, whatever kind of active thing, like philosophies are going to align that this is an important thing, but we're all at these different stages. Like that person over there who's got, you know, tons of muscles may not have the endurance. Like it's the same thing. We don't do that because we acknowledge that the progress, you know, is going to be different and it's going to be all over the place. It's going to be that constellation and not just a line, but man, teaching is just so personal and there are so many pieces. The stars really have to align sometimes in a certain way, which is I think why, again, we push stuff off our plate or how can you align with that one priority? Um, because if the stars don't align and you start getting, you know, some of them that are like on top of other things, teaching is not sustainable. It is high stakes, high decision fatigue, highly personal. Um, I mean, and if you're in a content area like ours, where some people also might think all you do is like, you know, we wear berets on Thursday or it's taco Tuesday, Cinco de Mayo, you know, whatever. You're like, oh my God, like not only do you have to change people's brains, but you have to change their hearts and their biases and, you know, make sure that what, what we are doing and all of the work we're being, that we're putting in is, is being seen, but being seen for the right reasons and that we're doing right by kids. And it's all a lot. It is a lot, and sometimes it, you know, it's it's too much. But we don't talk about that. We just say anything for the kids, you know, do whatever it takes. And I think do whatever it takes is is a really um, dangerous mindset. I agree, very much so. So, in keeping with my whole mindset about education and how it's very personal and should be, uh, every learning journey should be personalized mm -hmm. and according to where you are, you you know, what you think and what what your perspective is. You know, that whole interpretive mode is so important. Yep. So I'm not doing multiple choice or a prescription. I'm at the end doing a little rapid fire, like fill in the blank at the end. Mm, like, what okay. do you think about this? Okay. So you ready? I'm ready. All right. So finish, finish my sentences here. Teaching is. Exciting. My students are. Hilarious. 
I <laughs> want to be remembered by my students as energetic and intentional. My greatest hope for all teachers is that they see themselves as um, as their students see them and as their students who hold them in high regard see them. And my greatest hope for all children is that they believe that their best is good enough. Okay, I'm going to throw another one on you here. Mm -hmm. So what I want legislators to know that teaching needs teacher input. I think a lot of the issues that we have right now um, wouldn't be issues if if there were more teacher input and if it were taken seriously and somehow like pipelined to not just like oh we started a you know we had a little forum you know like no what's you know what are who's actually who's actually giving these these stories that aren't a dichotomy and that are every day yeah i think teacher input mm -hmm. yeah instead of thinking that they're the experts because they sat in a classroom one day <laughs> right right i mean and, and it's like we've talked you know language advocacy well the first thing you hear is, and the first thing you ask is like so tell me about your language experience and sometimes you're pleasantly surprised because they have a positive one but you're not surprised you're sort of unpleasantly not surprised when um when they don't when they have a negative experience because again dichotomy who was your people can tell you right off the top of their head their best school experience and their worst school experience and pretty much both of them involve an adult who they can name no one says oh my favorite class was God, what was her name like no they can name it and they can name a, a really upsetting experience and they can usually name that person by name so i, I think that's that's how personal school is and man, if that's not the conversation we have with a lot of legislators and a lot of people in charge <laughs> who aren't Those getting people. teacher input necessarily. <laughs> well, Meredith, thank you so much. It's always such a delight. I think we're going to have to do a part three or two, a part Ooh, three. Yes. We're going to have to do a series, a Meredith yeah, series. Thank you. So. <laughs> I'm here for it. Like a, like a double header, you know, just like, yeah. I'm just going to do a whole series. <laughs> exactly. So, and I can't wait till we can get together again at a conference and when things yeah, are a little more back to whatever normal is, like we said, right. it's not going to be the something. same. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely.